Good morning. Today's sermon text is in Mark. Imagine that. We've been in Mark for a while. (laughs) It's good, though. Chapter 2, we're going to be reading verses 13 through 17. You can find this in the Pew Bible um, on page 1525 or on your own devices. Or you can just listen as I read God's word. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Here ends today's reading. Well, good morning again, everyone. We are in the midst of a series, as Tracy said, in the book of Mark, and we are building resilience by being in this series for quite some time. Someone commented last week, oh, we finally made it to chapter two. Feels like it's taking, <laughs> well, there's 16 chapters in Mark, folks, so <laughs> just kidding. We'll be taking breaks along the way, um, but we want to go as slow as we feel like we need to to really get out of the book of Mark what we are sensing God wants us to get out of the book. One of the things that we have been uh, doing, actually before we get to anything with the book of Mark, um, Ash Wednesday, as, as uh, Suzanne just mentioned a few moments ago, was canceled last week uh, because of the coming storm, and it was obviously not something that any of us wanted to cancel that service, and you know, as the time rolled by and it's like 6.15 and there's like little flurries of snow, and I'm just like, you've got to be kidding me. So for Lent, I'm giving up listening to weather people, I guess is what I'm going to do. <laughs> Um, but given the information we had, you know, we had to make a decision hours before that so we could get time to get the word out. And um, so it's unfortunate, but um, there's also other ways that we can still practice Lent and the season of Lent uh, throughout this 40 days leading up to Easter. One of those uh, ways is by practicing an examine. Some of you have heard of this. Some of you have never heard of this before. There's some cards that look like this that are out at the connections table. Uh, an examine is an ancient spiritual practice that just invites us to slow down. And if there was ever a time where we needed to slow down, it is in the midst of the breakneck speed and pace of the culture in which we live. There's never a moment where we have silence. There's never a moment where we have time to just sit in quiet. There's always information. There's always voices that are coming at us. And so if there was ever a time where we needed to be the kinds of people who just sat down and reflected on our lives and just sat in the presence of God, now is uh, that time. And so this has... 
On the one side, some questions to help guide your reflection. You can do this on a weekly basis. You can choose a couple of these questions to sort of ponder through on each day. And then there's some um, scripture for you to read, some passages that are just suggested to you to help guide that time as well. So we invite you, even though we were not able to be together on the day of Ash Wednesday, uh, to make the most of this Lenten season. One of the things we've been doing in the book of Mark is we have been just opening up space for you to share what God is doing in you and teaching you as we are sort of trying to collectively read through the book of Mark. We've passed out Mark Bible journals in the weeks past, and there are some of those out of the connections table if you didn't receive one of those already. But we want to just be a church that is just sort of marinating in the book of Mark and reading that together. And I've actually heard from some of you that that has really just made this series so much more valuable and so much more meaningful that we're actually doing this together as a church family. And then we've just been opening up time for you to share. As you've been reading, uh, we expect that God is going to meet you. And that God is going to be changing you. And so we want to have those words of encouragement for our church family so that we can hear from each other how God is at work in your life and how God is changing you. So there's some questions there on the screen uh, to help guide some of your thinking. But as always, uh, the, the rules are I hold the microphone. I don't hand the microphone to you. And if you could keep your comments to between a minute, minute and a half, and we'll take uh, maybe two or three here this morning, if we have them, of people that would like to just share what God is doing in your life through the book of Mark. So... If anyone wants to share, go ahead and raise your hand, and I will walk around and uh, get, the, get the mic near you. All right, Glennis. Well, first of all, I had to ask the Lord for forgiveness because I wasn't reading the book of Mark. Because I don't know if some of you share this too, but Sometimes I just don't like to read the Bible because I don't understand it. So he forgave me, of course, and I started reading. And then I realized that the book of Mark contains stories. And I love stories. I love reading stories. I write stories. And there's a whole series of stories in this book. Many good stories about Jesus. Jesus takes an impure spirit out of a man. Jesus heals many and drives out demons. Jesus, I can't read my writing. Jesus heals a man from leprosy. And Jesus heals a paralyzed man. And this just goes on and on. And it, uh, it connects with me. And I appreciate this book that you have given us. Even though it took me a while to read it. The Lord forgives you and we forgive you, Glennis. <laughs> Thank you, Pastor John. Someone else want to share? My name is Patrick. This is actually my first Sunday here. But funny enough, I was at a coffee shop yesterday and I was reading Mark. So, <laughs> um, and welcome. I just think it's amazing that um, throughout the Gospels, it's about God as love, and it's shown through Jesus. And 
Um, I was reading about the Last Supper and about communion, actually, um, and just the communion that we that we get to have with Him, even even after we do, um, you know, sin or mess up in life, we can um, receive forgiveness. So, yeah. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. One more. Christine. Well, I just I'll just do one, but it's um, probably everybody knows it, but. When you come to the Palm Sunday, okay, blessed is he, he who comes in the name of the Lord, in the name of Yahweh. You see, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. It, it, I don't know. I, when I read it, for some reason this time, I was really struck with how they're expecting this kingdom to rescue from them from the Romans and get them back to where they were under David. And it's a whole different kingdom from what Jesus was about. And, and we kind of knew it, but it just struck me more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. All right. Well, let's spend some time in this passage today. And as we do, I want to invite you, as always, to join me in a word of prayer. God, we are so grateful for the gift of your word. We thank you, Lord, for the ways that your word, by your spirit, hits us in fresh ways each time we come to it. We thank you for the way that it challenges us, for the way that it convicts us, for the way that it encourages us and spurs us on. And Jesus, we ask that you would do that again here today. During this time together, as we look at this passage, would you help us to see what's here? Jesus, we pray that you would help us to leave here changed people. We desire to sit under the authority and the the goodness of your word. And so we pray that you would give us hearts that are quick to confess, hearts that are quick to repent, hearts that are quick to turn to you for forgiveness. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would minister to us each exactly where we need it this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Well, before my wife, Dina, and I had children, she worked for a financial planning company. And that company, one of the things that they would do is they would buy twins tickets and they would use those to you know, bring clients to twins games to build relationships and uh, just do, uh, you know, build relationships, et cetera. And uh, there were occasions where they didn't have any clients to take to those games. And so they would give away those tickets to the staff and their families. And so there was a couple times where Dina and I were able to go to the Twins games, and these tickets were for the Delta Skybox. Now, I've not been to enough, I've not been to that many baseball games, I'm not a super big baseball fan, Um, but I've been to enough baseball games to walk into the Delta Skybox and realize I do not belong here, okay? Um, You know, you walk in and there's like the food court, (laughs) And there's like people that are serving you and they're wearing chef hats, right? There's not like a sweaty man screaming at you to buy hot dogs from him. There's like a real person who like made that food and is wearing a nice chef hat. And then when you actually like pay for that food, they hand the food directly to you. 
And it's like, wait, there weren't like six strangers that handled my food as it was making its way down the aisle to me. And it just was one of these experiences where I was like, this is so wonderful. And I feel so out of place. This is like way above my pay grade. You know, the, the ball games I have been to have typically been like nosebleed seats. And so this was just such a, a unique experience. Uh, but my guess is that you can probably think of an experience in your life too where you felt out of place like you simply didn't fit in, like you didn't belong. That may have been in a, uh, some sort of social environment where you're with people that, you know, you're not around these kinds of people all that often, or you just, you know, you're with people that you're like, wow, these are like really important people and I'm just little old me over here or whatever it is. It may be that you went into some sort of cultural environment, whether that's traveling overseas and you realize, man, you were just like, you don't get the way of life around these parts. Or maybe you even went to some place within the Twin Cities and you were in an environment culturally that was so different than what you're used to that just left you feeling like, well, I just totally do not belong here. In this passage of the Bible that we're looking at today, we read about a person who simply does not belong. We've seen in the book of Mark that Jesus has been traveling around and he's been announcing that the kingdom of God has come near. And then he's been gathering to himself a whole bunch of disciples. He's been gathering to himself all of these followers who are going to be a part of this kingdom movement. And today we see him inviting someone, not just sort of generally to follow him as one of the many, but Jesus invites someone to follow him as a member of the 12. This man, Levi, whose Roman name was Matthew, he invites this man to be a part of the 12, and this man, Levi, is someone who, from a human perspective, does not belong in the 12, let alone being a disciple of this man, Jesus. And so what I want to do this morning is just take some time to explore this uh, calling of Levi and the banquet that Jesus shares with them. And as we do, I think there's a couple things that this passage is inviting us to do. And the first thing it's inviting us to do is to see the kinds of people that Jesus welcomes into the kingdom. This passage invites us to see the kinds of people that Jesus welcomes into the kingdom. We mentioned this last week, that beginning in chapter 2, there are five consecutive stories of Jesus coming into conflict with the religious leaders. Five consecutive stories of Jesus experiencing opposition, hostility from these religious leaders. And these first two that we look at have something in common. What we looked at last week, Jesus healing the paralyzed man and Jesus uh, calling Levi today. These two accounts have something in common. And what they have in common is that they are centered around Jesus' teaching and preaching of the kingdom. So in chapter 2, verse 2, we see that Jesus entered this house in Capernaum, and there's these crowds that are gathering around him, and the text says, and he preached the word to them. Then in verse 13, once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. So in both of these cases, the teaching and the preaching of Jesus is highlighted as an important detail. And I think what that means for us is that we are supposed to understand Jesus' calling of Levi and the healing of that paralytic through the lens of the preaching of the kingdom. So, in other words, the kingdom is the framework through which we have to understand these two stories. So, let me just put it like this. When Jesus heals the paralyzed man... When he heals his legs and forgives his sin, what he's doing is he's giving us a picture of the completeness of the healing that is ours in the kingdom of God. Up until this point in the book of Mark, we've seen people forgiven of their sins. We see people going out to John in the wilderness and they're being baptized for the forgiveness of their sins. And so we see people whose sins are forgiven and then we see Jesus 
healing people from all kinds of diseases, doing all sorts of miraculous healings. But in Mark chapter 2, with the paralyzed man, we see these two things come together, where this man is both healed of his sin and healed of his paralyzed legs. And this shows us a picture of the completeness of the healing that can be ours in the kingdom of God. And of course, we will fully experience that healing, the completeness of that, when Jesus' kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven. But then we come to this passage today where Jesus calls this man Levi, and what we see here is a picture of the kinds of people that Jesus loves and welcomes into his kingdom. It should be, anyone in the first century would have found it shocking that Jesus invited this man Levi, a tax collector, to be a part of his inner circle. And the reason is because tax collectors were hated and despised by the Jewish people. Tax collectors were Jews, Jewish people, who went to work as middlemen in the Roman Empire collecting taxes on behalf of the occupying Romans. And so these are people that are despised and are hated because they've sold out to the Roman government. These are people who are open extortionists who are preying upon their own people. And so they're despised and they're hated. There was a trade route that ran from uh, what would be, what is this, west? (laughs) Ran from the west to the east. There was a trade route that ran through Capernaum, which is what you see uh, circled there in red. And as you went through Capernaum, there were these toll stations. Basically, you know, when you, when you drive from here to Chicago, you hit Chicago and there's a bunch of toll booths, right? It's similar to that, where you would bring your goods and services from the region of the Decapolis and you would have to transfer it through one of these trade routes and you'd be charged taxes based on the goods that you brought into this other region of the country. And so these Jewish people were given permission, they were given authority by the Roman government to charge over and above whatever they wanted to charge. So the Roman government said, hey, we want this much, you know, this is the base tax. Anything you can charge over and above that, you get to keep as your own. And so they literally made their living by inflating what they told the people they were owed so that they could benefit from it. And most of these tax collectors were incredibly wealthy because they were extortionists who were preying upon their own people. And so these are the kinds of people, they are the the despised people of their society. And this is who Jesus invites into his inner circle. Levi is one of the most despised and hated people in their society. And Jesus just welcomes him right in. Jesus invites a person like this into his kingdom. Now, if there was a a person we're going to in the first century try and start a movement, and they were going to reach, at least initially, primarily Jewish people, this is a really bad way to organize your movement, right? Because the Jewish people hated tax collectors. And so this would have been like repulsive to anyone who was a common, ordinary Jew. Why are you associating with these people? I mean, the Jewish, the Jewish people, they hated tax collectors so much that actually tax collectors were considered unclean. And whenever they would come in contact with anything like in your house, your house would become unclean. They were not allowed to serve on courts uh, as witnesses. They were expelled from the religious life in the synagogue. They were, you know, these were just people that no one wanted to be around. And so if you're going to start a movement and try and reach people who are primarily Jewish, this doesn't look like a good way to do it. And yet, these are the people that Jesus loves and welcomes into his kingdom. 
And if this wasn't bad enough for Jesus to call this man Levi, we see also in the text that Jesus hung out with all kinds of people who were just like Levi. He hung out with tax collectors and sinners. And so we read here in verse 15, when Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples for there were many who followed him. When you experience a banquet like this in the first century, this did more than just demonstrate some sort of acquaintanceship. A meal like this in the first century world was a way of expressing friendship and intimacy. And those who were looking on as Jesus ate with these kinds of people would have understood, they would have interpreted that as Jesus is affirming these people and their lifestyle. Jesus is standing in solidarity with those kinds of people. And we see that's exactly the response that the religious leaders have. The religious leaders When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus invites these people to be, uh, he's eating this meal with them, he's sharing uh, fellowship with them, and the religious leaders look at him and they say, do you understand who those people are? Do you know what those people stand for? Do you know how those people live? Do you know what they do? Do you understand Jesus? And they are repulsed by Jesus being with these people, to which Jesus responds and says, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And that's Jesus' way of saying, The emphasis of my ministry is not on those who would consider themselves to be righteous. The emphasis of my ministry is going to be on the outcast. The emphasis of my ministry is on the moral and the social, and the cultural, and the religious outcast. And that is exactly what Levi was. He was a religious outcast. He couldn't enter the synagogue. He was a moral outcast because he was an extortionist who was preying upon God's people. He was a cultural and social outcast because no one wanted to be around him. And Jesus is saying, these are the kinds of people that I love and have come to welcome into my kingdom. These kinds of people. Now, it's worth asking ourselves the question, who are the tax collectors and sinners for us? It's worth just pausing for a moment and asking ourselves, who are the people that we look at in the same way that the Pharisees and religious leaders looked at those tax collectors and sinners? What I'm going to do is just uh, ask a handful of questions. Uh, I, I thought about, you know, uh, what I could do is I could just give you a list of people that like, yeah, these are the people that, you know, we tend to think of that way. I'm not going to do that. Uh, what I want to do is just ask probing questions, and I want the Spirit of God to be at work in your mind and in your heart as you're answering these questions. Please don't answer these out loud, okay? These are uh, rhetorical questions. Uh, if you would like to discuss this with someone later, great. Um, probably not the best time to shout out your answer um, and make it public. Um, but anyways, here, here's the kind of questions we should consider to figure out who are these tax collectors and sinners for us. Ask yourself, what person or group of people most bothers me? Who are the people that I simply cannot stand? The people I just don't, they just rub me the wrong way, they bother me, I just don't like them. That might be a neighbor, it might be someone in your workplace, it might be an entire group of people within our culture or society. Who is the person or the people who just bothers you, who just gets under your skin? Ask yourself, 
What person or group of people do I avoid? Who are the people that if at any, if there's any opportunity to do it, I will simply avoid being around them? I might not go so far as to walk on the other side of the street, but I'm certainly not going to do anything to put myself in being in close proximity with these kinds of people. Who are the people that you tend to keep at arm's length? The people that you just want to sort of go away? Who are the people, if you're honest, you would say, you know, the world is better without people like this around? Another question to consider, who do I most often complain about or criticize? Who are the kinds of people that I most often, you know, who are the people that make you roll your eyes most often? Oh my goodness, did you hear about this person? Did you hear about what they did or what they said or what they didn't do or what they didn't say? Who are the people that make you, that you just find yourself so often just gravitating towards criticizing, putting down, complaining about? Maybe fill in the blank with this one. The biggest problem in our country right now is fill in the blank. It's getting real personal now, isn't it? You, you, can, put, you can insert the word, the word world there too. The biggest problem in our country or in our world right now is fill in the blank. And I can promise you that if you did not immediately think of a person or a group of people, whatever you did put in that blank, there's a person or a group of people behind it. And the point of this exercise is just to get us to realize that there are people in every single one of our lives, it doesn't matter how long you follow Jesus, it doesn't matter how long you've lived, there are people that you look at in the same way that the Pharisees looked at the tax collectors and sinners. We all have people like that in our lives. And like the religious leaders, we could look at those people and say, yeah, but don't you know what they do? Don't you know what they stand for? Don't you know what they promote? Don't you know how they vote? And we could come up with all kinds of really good reasons why it's okay for us to avoid these people or criticize them or complain about them or all of these things, right? We can come up with lots of good reasons. And friends, what we have to see is that these are the kinds of people that Jesus welcomed into his kingdom. These are the kinds of people, the religious and social and moral and cultural outcasts are the ones who Jesus welcomed and loved and invited to be a part of his kingdom. Now, before you send me an email, we, we have to be clear about this. Jesus did not say to the tax collectors and sinners, come on in and keep your old life. He didn't say, come as you are and stay the same. No, Jesus said, repent and believe the good news. And that's an expression of the love that Jesus had for those folks. That Jesus, when he hung out with the tax collectors and sinners, he loved them too much to let them stay the same. Jesus loved them enough to insist that they turn from the sin that had shipwrecked their lives and was keeping them separated from their creator. And so Jesus loved and welcomed these people into his kingdom and said, come, repent and believe the good news and be changed by God. But we have to see that Jesus did not start with, you change your life first, then you'll be acceptable in the kingdom of God. You are welcomed into the kingdom and as you do so, you will be changed by the God who rules that kingdom. And so these are the kinds of people that Jesus loved and welcomed into his kingdom. Jesus loved the outcast. 
Jesus loved the people that the religious establishment looked down on and had cast aside. Jesus loved those people and welcomed them with open arms into his kingdom to be changed by him. And so the question for us is, what does it take for our hearts to love people the way Jesus did? I don't know about you, but I find myself uh, challenged by answering these kinds of questions, right? Where I realize, man, there's a lot of people that I look at in this kind of a way. What does it take for our hearts to love people like Jesus did and not just, you know, tolerate them, but to actively desire their good? What does that take? How do we do that? Well, the answer is that we will love the outcast when we recognize that we are the sin-sick people that Jesus came to save. That's where it starts, is that we, we will never love people the way Jesus loved people if we do not first recognize that we are the sin-sick people that Jesus came to save. When Jesus said, I have not come to call the righteous but sinners, if we don't first recognize that is you and that is me, our hearts will never be filled with compassion for the outcast like Jesus' heart was filled with compassion. So we recognize first that we are the sin-sick people Jesus came to rescue, And we also recognize that Jesus is our great physician who came to heal us from the sickness of our sin. So we see in this passage, it's inviting us to not only see the kinds of people that Jesus welcomed into the kingdom of God, it also calls us and invites us to look to Jesus as the one who can heal us from the sickness of our sin. The way that God heals us from our sin is as surprising as the people that he welcomed into his kingdom. What the Bible says is that every single one of us has hearts that are twisted and distorted and tainted by the presence of sin. Every one of us has hearts that have been affected by idolatry, which the Bible says is not, you know, setting up a statue and bowing down to it. (laughs) What the Bible says about idolatry is that anything that you have looked to to provide for you what only God can provide for you, that is an idol. When you look to any person or anything or any ideology or any group or any whatever to provide your sense of meaning and identity and purpose and safety and security and comfort and satisfaction and joy and life, when you look to those things functionally and they become more important to you than God himself, those things are idols for you. And every single one of us is someone whose hearts, as one theologian put it, are idol factories. We're really good at letting the good things that God has given us turn into things that we look to to provide what only God was designed to provide for us. And so every single one of us has been infected and affected by sin, and the result of that sin is exile. We have been exiled from the presence of God, and what the Bible says is that that exile will continue eternally unless God miraculously intervenes. And the good news of the gospel is that God indeed has miraculously intervened. He has made a way. Listen to how Peter says it. Peter says in 1 Peter 2, verses 23 to 24, rather, speaking of Jesus, he says, When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, we have been healed. 
So the essence of the good news of the gospel is that Jesus took upon himself the sickness of our sin. As Jesus hung on the cross, he experienced the exile and the forsakenness that we deserve because of our sin. Jesus sat in that place for us so that by coming to him simply through faith, we could be restored in relationship with God, we could be forgiven of our sin, and our hearts could be changed and transformed when we recognize that Jesus is the great physician who can heal us from the sickness of our sin. And it's when we grasp that, when our hearts understand that we are the sin-sick ones Jesus came to heal, to save, when we realize the lengths to which God went to bring about our salvation, when we recognize the magnitude of what has been done for us in the person of Jesus, that is what will change our hearts. That is what will change how we look at every other person, especially those who are the outcast. I want to leave you with just two questions for reflection this morning. I encourage you to write these down and maybe spend some time processing these this week. Ask yourself the question, who are the people that my heart instinctively wants to reject? Who are the people, whether an individual or a group of people, who are the people that my heart instinctively, without even trying, just simply wants to reject and to keep at arm's length? Who are the tax collectors and sinners and the outcasts for me? And the second question, what is one step I can take to move towards them? See, that's what we see in the person of Jesus. We tend to be repulsed by the outcast. We want to create distance between those we consider the outcast and us. And yet Jesus' love for the outcast is what led him to draw near to them. And Jesus was accused of being, you know, he's eating with tax collectors and sinners and he's, you know, he's a drunkard and he's a glutton because he got near to, he got close to people who were the outcast. And he was considered an outcast because of that. Jesus was willing to get close enough that he was misunderstood by the religious people of his day. So who are the people that my heart instinctively wants to reject? And what is one step I can take to move towards them? Here's my dream for Elmwood. And I feel comfortable saying it that way because... I think that this is in line also with God's heart. I'm not just, you know, my dream for Elmwood doesn't matter, right? God's dream for Elmwood is what we're after here. Um, But one of my dreams for Elmwood is that we would be a church that continually and in increasing ways measures fruitfulness of ministry, not only by how many people gather in this room on Sundays, but by how close we get to the outcast Monday through Saturday. Okay, what we do here on Sunday mornings, you know this. This is important. This is uh, an important part of the life of God's people that we gather to sing and to pray and to worship and to connect. We do all those things. This is an incredibly valuable, formative part of the life of our church. And also, this is a part of the life of our church. And what it means to live as a disciple is that Monday through Saturday, we get to, to be commissioned and sent out of here on Sundays to go practice following the way of Jesus in all those spheres of our life, Monday through Saturday. And so, yes, we ought to measure how many people are in the room on Sundays, 
But how many people in our church family are actively taking steps to get closer to people that they consider to be the outcast? And then secondly, as we do that, what I want for us is to be able to look around the room. And we can do this now, of course. But in increasing ways, I want for us to be able to look around the room and to point to every single person and say, you don't belong here. Right? You know what I mean by that. In the best possible way. To look at people and to say, you know, from a human perspective, you don't belong here. You're too messed up. You have too much baggage. You are too this or you are too that. And, and, and for us to recognize that we all are people that simply, from a human perspective, do not belong as members of the kingdom of God. And that is precisely, that is the only thing that qualifies us to be members of the kingdom of God, is recognizing that we don't deserve it and we don't understand it. And so for us as a church family to be able to look around on Sunday morning and to say, you know, wow, praise God, you don't belong here. And yet here we are in this weird sort of strange family that we get to call family. That's my dream for Elmwood, is that we would be that kind of church. As we come to the communion table today, what I want to just, what I want to do this morning is I'm just going to leave these questions up and I'm going to set a two-minute timer. We always have, a, you know, some time of, confession and reflection as we come to the communion table. But I want to leave a little bit of an extended time for that this morning. I'm going to set an alarm for two minutes, which for some of you that may feel like an eternity, and that's okay. It's good for you to feel uncomfortable with silence. But let's take the next two minutes and just sit in silence. And there may be a cell phone that rings. There may be a baby that cries. That's great. Those, that's real life, right? Uh, but let's just spend a little bit of time sitting in the presence of God and uh, coming, preparing our hearts to come to the communion table uh, to receive the, the forgiveness that Jesus offers. But let's spend some time in quiet reflection together.